what's poppin', my Freeform Renegades? You are tuned into the Freeform Network. Thanks for joining us for another fun episode of Freeform Radio. I'm your host, Noel, with my co-host here, Daniel. Yes, sir. What's going on? What's poppin', man? Ah, uh, nothing much. Unfortunately, Andy is not with us today. He's feeling a little under, under the weather. Well, that's how it goes when Chicago changes weather, man. It's up and down, up and down, but... Today it's actually not a uh, too cold of a day, so we're we're gonna enjoy it the best we can. And wherever you listeners are, we hope you're feeling relaxed and feeling good. And we're gonna get right into it, starting off with Daniel. So Daniel, looks like you rewatched New Nightmare, man, dude. I've been wanting to watch this for a little bit. I love the Freddy series, and uh, that was the last one, if I'm correct, uh, of that series. How'd you like it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's the last one with the OG. Um, what the heck's his name, Freddie? Robert England. Uh, Robert England, right, right. Yeah, I know. In the last podcast, I had mentioned that um, I was gonna rewatch uh, one that you had seen. I forget what it was. The Portuguese. I was gonna oh, rewatch. Yeah, I was gonna rewatch that when you had mentioned that the last podcast. But um, what ended up beating it out was the first Nightmare on Elm Street. So we checked it out. Really good. Uh, I really enjoy the Nightmare on Elm Street, even though the middle ones get kind of hokey, especially like the second to the last one, like the one before the new Nightmare. And that one was really, really hokey and really like funny. They they try to do too much funny on that one. Mm-hmm. But um, this new Nightmare does a whole different spin on it. Uh, I mean, I it, it sounds like you've watched it already, but yeah, the the whole they're movie stars and they're trying to reboot the series or continue the series or whatever it is, uh, whatever plot point that they were trying to get, but very interesting, very cool, different take, uh, as far as it kind of breaks the fourth wall and really cool, uh, movie. Uh, me and Alana watched it and, and she enjoyed it too, which she's not a, a huge, uh, horror fan. So for her to enjoy it, uh, it's, it's gotta be pretty good. Uh, what about you? Did did you enjoy it back in the day, or you seen it? I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. So I, I've seen it a few times throughout my life, and um, yeah, it was a good like return to a more horror style, less of a comedy of it. And I do like how they, you know, the actors are, you know, knowingly expressing that they were actors, and the movies were all, you know, an act, like you said, breaking the fourth wall. And then the actors that are in it. Um, especially that little kid, the the son of of the main actress, I forget what her name was, but uh, he was in a bunch of different movies that were really popular in the like the eighties and nineties. Uh, he right. was in Kindergarten Cop. He was in um, I just saw it yesterday, Pet Cemetery. So it was cool to see you know that little kid in the in the movie as well. And and Robert England, man, you you really can't beat Freddy Krueger uh, if it's not Robert England. It's really difficult to do. Right. Yeah. Man, was that kid creepy creepy or not, man? Every oh, time sure. <laughs> every time he had a scene and he would do the Freddy voice, I'm coming to get you. I'd be like, Man, this kid is freaking me out, man. <laughs> oh man, if you haven't seen Pet Cemetery, you should watch that next because that's he's creepy in that one too. And you know, props to that kid because he's a good actor as a I don't know what age he was, maybe like seven or something, eight. Uh, he was a little kid in the pet cemetery too. He was like four or five. This kid has talent, man. Yeah, yeah, he was he was really good. Uh, kind of overacting just because 
or maybe it's just a, a, a plot mistake where he's kind of acting like Freddy. I think it would have just been better if he was just having nightmares and just dealing with Freddy instead of, I, I think they wanted to have like a subplot of he's the new Freddy or something. I don't know because he, that creepy Freddy voice, I don't think it really hit with the movie or at least in my opinion. And then even that biker dude from the first movie, I saw him in the, the funeral scene, but uh, he didn't have a scene or any dialogue. So I don't know if there was like maybe a, a deleted scene where they were going to use him for something, but it didn't work out. I'm not sure, but really cool movie. I, I really dug it. Uh, the director, he plays a character in the movie um that the the main character the, the character from the the main character from the first movie she's married and it, it was just really cool and different and reinventing um it, it's the last one before they rebooted it and went with a whole new freddy which even that movie i thought was okay uh but definitely one of the last hurrahs for uh robert england and and a really good movie yeah, there there have been some fan films, not with Robert England, but uh, Freddy. Unfortunately, yeah, like after this one, it's uh, aside from Freddy versus Jason, um, that was oh, right. pretty much yeah the last one you see with with Robert England. That's right. Yeah, that, that's right. No, and and that one, ooh man, I I really want to watch that one too, but uh, we didn't get a chance to since um, uh, October is officially over. It's no more scary movies back to just normal <laughs> stuff yeah. yeah usually we try the whole month just to that that's all we really watch and we did get quite a few of them uh in this year but yeah I, i'm sure you're the same way do you uh you got it on blu-ray or how'd you watch it um i watched it on whatever whoever streams uh new line I, it was either on max or peacock or i, I can't recall where i saw it Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I just watched it on one of the streaming sites and okay. yeah, yeah, you, you know, I don't, I know you're, you're really getting into physical media, but I'm probably doing the opposite. I'm, I'm like stepping away from it, uh, just cause I don't buy almost anything anymore unless it's like five bucks, uh, the Blu-ray or the 4k I'm, I'm not even touching it anymore. Cause I, when I moved, uh, two years ago, it was a pain in the ass to move all those DVDs. And a lot of them are still in my boxes. Um, it, it's not one of my talking points. I was going to save it for maybe another uh, podcast that we do. But I was looking for the Gotti movie. And I'm like, I know I got it. But I was looking on all the streaming sites because I just dreaded going into the garage, going through the boxes and looking for that DVD. But, yeah, it's such a pain in the ass to uh, maybe because I don't have them organized like you do on a shelf that's easily accessible. I got them in my garage in a bunch of boxes. So I have to dig through these boxes and try to find it. I, I definitely hear you where you're coming from on that. That That's why my collection is like strictly horror. And to be honest, I'm like 95% of it completed. And I'm not really even thinking about buying anymore because you're right, dude. It just takes way too much space. And I think I'm happy with what I got. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to just chill here for a bit. But, um, but yeah, so yeah. Did, did you watch any other horror movies? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next thing I was going to kind of bring up, I watched one that you gave me, uh, the Exorcist movie. Uh, I watched that Blu-ray that you gave me. It's my first time watching the Exorcist movie. And not because of lack of opportunity. It's just that it, 
kind of freaks me out, man. I, <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you've seen it, right? Oh, of course, man. Yeah, that's uh, it's a classic, dude. Came out in the '70s. It has that '70s feel to it, where it's like right. definitely more realistic. And uh, y- yeah, I-, I could see why it would make some people unsettled. Um, but but I never, I never thought of it as like something that could really happen. I always saw it as like a movie, so it never really scared me, uh, especially because I watched it more when I was a little bit older. Right, right. No, for sure. And and to be honest, even this first watch, um, I think so it wouldn't spook me. I kept saying that over and over again in my head, kind of like when you go to a haunted house um, and you're, you know that there's going to be a jump scare, somebody hiding behind the corner. It's pitch dark. <laughs> you're kind of going through it. You're, you're like almost repeating over and over in your head that this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. Just so that you don't spook yourself. Uh <laughs> I think I overdid it for the Exorcist movie because, to me, I didn't even really find it scary almost at all. Um, it exactly. was, it, it was good overall, just because seeing um, just how they used to do movies back in the day. Uh, there were some slow plot things going on. Uh, definitely, movies back in the day they used to take a lot more time to set up things. You see scenes of people driving and scenes being set up. And nowadays, kids, they they got a, a lack of attention. So it's like pop, pop, pop over and over and over again. You know, new scene, new scene. Not a lot of dead space in between. So uh, it's definitely something different that you got to get used to when you watch these older movies. But it was a good movie overall. Um, again, I had never seen it. It, you hear about the famous scenes of you know the girl throwing up and her head twisting around, and it was the first time I got to watch it. the The really cool scene that um, I didn't know about it, but she like walks inverted and she's like going down the stairs, and I I didn't hear about that, and I was just like, wow, man, how did they pull this off back in the day? It, it, you know, no CG, everything's kind of practical effects. It it looked really cool. Yeah, that was a definitely a creepy part. <laughs> there, there's a lot of weird parts in that that movie, man. And uh, the the dialogue was good too. It's you know you have some classically trained actors in it, so they pull it off. Uh, Max von Sydow was great. Um, what do you think when the priest got thrown out the window? Yeah, it, it was it was really creepy at the end. I almost expected it to keep going, like when they're walking away and it's. Kind of like a um, uh, 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 Lord of the Rings ending where I'm like, there's going to be a second ending. It's not just going to end after the exorcist where they're like, all right, we're moving on. I'm like, there's going to be something else. The priest is going to be walking away and something's going to happen. But no, nothing happened. But yeah, all just all the scenes were were very well done, especially with the thought that um, there's no CG back in the day. It was It was just like all practical effects. Um, and I know years ago, I haven't seen it recently, but that there was a lot of tragedy with the making of the movie and, you know, I probably should have watched it while watching the movie or or very close to it. So I could remind myself of all the tragedies, but I know there was deaths and accidents on scene and a bunch of stuff. Yeah. it, It was supposedly like a cursed movie or something. The, the production was like really difficult, but yeah yeah good movie 
overall. Um, we watched it, I think it was the day before Halloween or Halloween day. So it was very fitting, but, um, yeah, man, good movie. Glad I watched it. Uh, but like I mentioned, it used to freak me out when I was a kid and it's something that I, I tried to avoid for sure. But, um, yeah, another movie that I watched, um, this is another one of, uh, Junior's favorite and, um, he had watched it with one of his buddies the day it released i think it released on a friday and he just wouldn't you know um he just had a lot to say about it so uh at the end he convinced us on saturday to watch it with him rewatch it uh for him and the first time for for me and alana and that's uh five nights at freddy's um we watched the, the new movie that just came out on peacock because they were streaming it the same day that it released in the movie theaters and i gotta say man it was pretty good uh, when Junior was younger, he was like a, a fanatic. He really loved the jump scares. And it's really weird because he, other scary stuff he really doesn't like, um, like going to haunted houses and stuff like that. He really doesn't dig it. He he gets scared and he doesn't want to be there and, and be scared with, with those jump scares. But when it comes into a video game or like uh, watching YouTube videos where something's going to, you know, tells you focus here, look at this. And then something jumps out and scares you. He used to love those things when he was younger, uh, just to scare himself. <laughs> so the, the fight nights of Freddy's that that's exactly what those games are. It's just a bunch of jump scares. You got to do these, these um, uh, tasks to make sure that the jump scares don't pop up onto your screen. But if you don't do those tasks in a timely manner, Boom, the jump scare comes out and, and you die and it's basically game over and you have to start all over. But yeah, the movie uh, was pretty well done. I mean, it's nothing classical. It's nothing like a new nightmare kind of thing. Um, but it's definitely uh, true to form to to the video game and really uh, pays it well. Um, I don't I can't recall. I don't remember asking Alana what she cared if she cared for it, but I know that Junior and his friend, they both really dug it and really enjoyed it. Have Have you watched it, or or you even have intents of watching it? Uh, you know, it's it's not really high on my list of movies to see. Um, I do re recall the game, and I I do recall Junior bringing it up many many times, um, and that he would watch like uh, other people play it as well as him play himself. It was like one of those uh, live streams that he would watch. And, uh, you know, he, he would talk a lot about it. So I do, you know, know roughly about, you know, what's going on. But um, it just didn't really catch my attention to watch the movie of it. Maybe at some point, though. Yeah, I know a bunch of my nephews were into it. Um, it was like the craze that was around. And I don't think it's as popular as it has been in the past. But I was just reading like a day or so ago that it was the most viewed um, Peacock movie um, since I guess they don't do too many direct releases kind of thing. So I don't know if it's just because they don't do too many, but it was one of their most downloaded or viewed uh, simultaneous cast whatever movies. So I'm glad to hear it did well. I know Junior's really excited because um, the creator forget the guy's name scott coughlin or scott something something like that um he signed on for three movies to be a consultant because i guess he got into some hot water 
where he said something political or something. So he had to sell the rights to Five Nights at Freddy's to this company because he was having issues and he just decided to sell it and walk away. So now this uh, other company, uh, supposedly they signed everybody on to a three movie commitment with hopes of making this some kind of trilogy. Oh, okay. Hey, that's, you know, good for him. And yeah, good that the series will be going on. I guess there'll be a trilogy then. Right. Or at least that's their intent from uh, the little bit that I read into it. Uh, everything was dependent on how well it was received, how, how much money did it make. But it's it's kind of like the Spider-Man movies. Uh, they signed on uh, Tom Holland to a three-movie deal. But depending on, you know, income, you know, ratings and all that, they would either make the three or or, or they wouldn't. So in, in the, the case of Spider-Man, they did make them. Um, and it sounds like for the Five Nights at Freddy's, or at least from uh, Peacock's own admission, it was very well watched. So hopefully they'll get the the other, you know, two movies or, or more, depending on how well that uh, series goes. And sure. uh, yeah, yeah. And just uh, the last thing to kind of bring up, um, I finished watching uh, Blackberry, the movie. It's like a. Um, a documentary movie based on real life kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure if you even heard about it, Noel, or did you even watch this one? Uh, Blackberry? No, that doesn't sound familiar. Well, what is it about? I mean, it's a, about the, the mobile phone, uh, the Blackberry mobile phone. Oh, the, okay. okay. So, you know, kind of like, um, I know those are, really hip now like the tetris one came out where the whole making of tetris and how they came about and uh there was a few other ones that have become really popular well the one i just recently watched was the blackberry and it was really cool to see uh, a snapshot in time because when cell phones first came out uh maybe some of the newer viewers don't remember or, or listeners but it was a, a, I think they call it a T9 uh, phone keyboard where you would have to press the number two, uh, two times for the letter B or three times for the letter C. And so that was your keyboard for texting, for sending short messages. And when I was growing up, that was normal to me to, to type text messages like that, uh, even though text messages were notoriously really expensive and really difficult just because of the typing like i mentioned but blackberry was one of the first companies that they uh innovated the cell phone lines to make text messages so much cheaper and they're one of the reasons why uh text messages are a given in any data plan now but before you used to pay for your cell phone package so you would get whatever however many minutes a month, uh, 60 minutes a month or whatever your package was. And then for text messages, you would get like, uh, you know, 10 text messages a month and anything at, over that would be a dollar a message or whatever it was. So um, you don't see them too often no more, but that's the reason why in s when you sign up for text messages with certain companies, they tell you uh, data message, data text uh, fees may apply. Uh, kind of insinuating that uh, we're going to send you text messages and you're acknowledging that it's fine because if it goes over your text message 
plan, then you're going to have to pay a nickel or 10 cents or a dollar per message, depending on what your plan um, calls for. Do you even remember any of that stuff back in the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. It's It was right around the time that I was growing up. So I recall all the original phones. Um, and then my very first one that I had through a carrier like Sprint, because they had the prepaid stuff in the beginning, too. And but when I got on Sprint, I had the Katana. I had that T9 keyboard. I had to pay extra, like, I don't know, 60, 70 cents per text or whatever it was. And I had a limited amount of uh, minutes per month. And I think you get free calls like after 9 p.m. if they're a Sprint user or some shit like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, man, it was a whole different game, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, beside me going over the history of text messages, that's really what was neat about the BlackBerry movie is because they go into that. They they discuss the hurdles of it, and it just jogged my memory. And I'm like, yes, man, I remember all that stuff. And so anyways, um, the movie goes into the design of one of the first Blackberries that had an embedded keyboard in your phone. And I remember I was like totally in awe when I first saw that on a cell phone. I'm like, man, so you don't have to press the number two, three times for the letter C. You could just press the letter C on a keyboard. And it totally like blew me away that when I got my first Blackberry, it was just like, this is game changer. This is really the future uh, to have a, a small keyboard in the palm of your hand. And it was just cool watching the, the movie. Uh, it's, you know, it's got a lot of drama in it. I don't know how much of it is real with the founders and some of the hurdles that they needed to go through, but it was a real entertaining watch. Um, and then it even it, towards the end of the movie, it shows the inception of the iPhone and how that affected BlackBerry as well. And that was very neat to see because I remember that exact moment, me having my BlackBerry, it was probably my second one uh, ever. Uh, and then when iPhone came out, I was just, I was thinking the same way uh, that they described in the movie. It's like, oh man, that's stupid. What are you talking about? You're not going to have a keyboard. You're just going to touch it on your screen. That is dumb. And I was thinking that same exact thing, man, when, when the the iPhone came out. And then now every phone is like that. Everything is a screen and you just touch it to get the haptic feedback of the keyboard and whatnot. So it's just really a cool time capsule of the time when, you know, iPhone and BlackBerry were going at it. For sure, man. BlackBerry did a lot of innovations that iPhone, you know, utilized and then took it to the next level. And yeah, I could, man, I might have to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, really cool, man. I, I, I had it on my, um, you know, watch list uh, next to Tetris. I still got to watch the Tetris movie because I heard that one's pretty good, too. Um, but yeah, this BlackBerry one, very good. Really s sad movie at the end, if, if it's true um, as far as how they show it. But really sad with the owners and and how BlackBerry uh, went through its rise and then its eventual decline. Uh, the company's still around, but they're totally a different company now, and they're not the the main players in cell phones anymore. So, really cool movie, man. It just it just gave me a flashback of when I was a teenager, um, getting into cell phones, really getting into text messages. Because when I grew up, man, it was 
it it wasn't so much about text messages because we had pagers and we had data plans that only let you text like you know a dozen times otherwise you'd have to pay a nickel every time or a quarter or whatever it was so you would almost limit um, how you would make phone calls in your communications and a lot of that messaging was one-on-one -on -one with the person and you would kind of just say like hey we need to talk so that you would call the person and, and converse or hey we need to meet up and then so you can get together and have the conversation that nowadays we just do it all through text or or, or you know some kind of message yeah there, there's pros and cons to the convenience of text because you know, like you said most people replace talking with just texting and and there's a lot that is missed and misinterpreted with the text versus with the phone call. Really? So the tone, you know, and, and the way things are said. And but you know, that that's part of of the advancement of technology is like things like that will happen. No, for sure. I agree with you. I think um, in a lot of cases you can't convey um, emotions very well um, because the text doesn't really give you the, the tone like you're saying. Um, is the person kind of screaming this? Is the person kind of saying this lovely in a loving manner? So it is very different and difficult. But yeah, um, probably a good article for the future is just seeing the differences um, socially that uh, text messages have brought upon where a lot of people don't communicate in person anymore everything's through text which i agree it is easier and for me i don't really like talking too much with people so i totally dig text messages but i i agree with you man i, I it, it's going to be curious to see what the future holds for us uh through people that just text message and, and don't really call and talk to anybody anymore i do miss uh talking more though uh, I feel like, yeah, like I get where you're coming from. I'm actually similar, but I, I'd say I'm I'm similar in the regard that like I don't like talking too much to people that aren't that important in my life. Right. Uh, if right. it's like just a stranger or like just a quick communication with like a coworker or, you know, a lower tier friend, I guess, whatever, it's just a text. But if it's family and stuff like that, people that mean something to me, uh, I, there's times where I, I want that conversation and, and I'll make the call instead of continuing a text for like 10 more texts, you know. No, for sure. For sure. But, uh, Noel, I think that's enough of me. Let's jump on to you, man. I see you're still tracking along here with your uh, gaming. Beat God of War 3, the remastered edition. This is one that, that I really dug. It's the... I think it's like the second to last before they rebooted it in 2018. So definitely one of the better ones. Huge scope, man. The game is huge, uh, especially when it came out back in the day. But even now, uh, it's still a very big game. Uh, what were your thoughts on it, man? You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I first got introduced to God of War in, in PS2, and I ended up playing God of War 2 for a bit. I don't think I beat number two. I actually just watched like the YouTube video of the cutscenes, and I got the story that way because <laughs> I was like, I don't have enough time to play number two. All right. I really want to do is get to the reboot, and I know I have to get through number three. But I was like, I don't want to. I don't have a PS3 anymore. And thankfully, they came out with the God of War three on uh, PS4, the remastered. So I ended up playing that. 
um, I actually enjoyed it, man. I played it all the way through, and um, it, it was like the more intense version of it where Kratos is a god, essentially god of war himself, and he is going up against the gods of Olympus, um, and he's trying to destroy them all, essentially. And you have this huge battle with Zeus, and, and it turns out Zeus is Kratos' father, and it's just like, what the heck is going on here, dude? It's, it was wild, you know? But it was uh, essentially, for me, the conclusion of the Greek saga. Uh, so you said that there were a couple other ones before they rebooted? I'm assuming that's like, what, PSP or some other shit? Yeah, they did release some for PSP. I, I don't recall what it was. And I want to say Ascension was after this, or, okay. or maybe or maybe it was before it. But they did try to um, go into like a multiplayer space, or at least they had it still had the single player uh, story, but then it had like this multiplayer uh, kind of portion to it. But I think after that, they were like, yeah, I think we're done with the, the Greek mythology. And, and that's when the 2018 started. So, yeah, at least that's the way I kind of recall it. But yeah, man, that God of War 3, man, it's got some huge set pieces. Is is that the one where he gets um I forget the name of the character I think it's like Helos and he like rips his face off. Um, yes, 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 that's the yeah, one where he yeah. grabs his head and then he just starts ripping it and it's like really slow and drawn out and you gotta like mash the X button or whatever, and he just keeps like grabbing his head and wrenching it and then finally his head just like flings off. I'm just like holy shit, this is crazy. Yeah, it was wild, man. Uh, and the combat was really cool. You get a lot of cool abilities, and it, it just kept the action going. Um, but definitely worth playing. Um, I would I would say uh, I'm really looking forward to the new reboot of the series. But it was good to see this one cap off that whole Greek mythology because the, the first one was good. The second one I thought was kind of a rehash of the first. And it felt kind of stale, and it, it was still PS2 graphics. But the third one had, well, it was PS3, so it had updated graphics, just right. a little bit more of a, a refinement of the combat system. And I was able to do like just, just so many different moves and powers. Um, do do you? Uh, how, how long ago did you play it? Um, the remaster, I gotta say, it was probably like um, a good four years ago or so. Um, it's not too long ago, just because I've beat it like uh, three times already in total. It's it's a really cool game, and like you said, it like really capped off the the Greek mythology timeline. So I think you're gonna really enjoy this this next phase in the re the reboot of 2018 with the the Norse mythology. I still have to play um, the newest one that came out, the Ragnarok, and I think they even announced that there might be some DLC for the Ragnarok. Um, uh, version that just came out so really cool um it, it's probably one of those ones for black friday that i'm gonna have to keep an eye out and, and maybe pick up oh yeah for real hopefully that yeah, does go on sale but yeah i still have to play the the one before ragnarok god of war so i have it uh it's the ps4 greatest hits one and uh, i'm looking forward to playing it man it's let's see this new um norse mythology let's see how that goes um, but yeah, moving on, dude, um, aside from the gaming, that, that was actually one that I beat a little bit ago, uh, something more recent that I did, which was actually just yesterday, uh, since we were talking about horror movies, I mentioned I had watched uh, Pet Cemetery, 
and this was the 1989 version, the original. Um, and did you ever watch that movie, 1989 one? Yeah, I watched the original and even the the rebooted one that came out a few years ago. Yeah. And I, I really dug both of them. I think the reboot was a little different. It, it kind of yeah. veered a little off from the original story plot, but I thought both of them were pretty well done. Yeah, so the the new one I watched, I think, possibly before the original. I can't even remember if I ever watched the original because if I did, it was so long ago that this version that I watched, the original, it felt like the first time. And uh, right. it, it was creepy, man. It was a cool, creepy movie. Uh, it definitely has like an old school 80s vibe to it. And it's like a, a unique film style that you don't see often anymore. Um the the family was very very unique um so just to kind of summarize it for our viewers it's about a family that moves to like the countryside and the father of the family he's a doctor that's joining like a college um to be like a doctor for the you know village of the town and as soon as his first day begins somebody ends up dying on his watch and they they're brought into the hospital or the you know the college hospital, and the person was like beyond saving, unfortunately, and he passed away. But before he passed away, he creeped the hell out of the doctor by saying just the most random stuff about you know the soul being stonier and and the soil being sour. It was pretty much giving reference and like meaning to something that would happen later on, and essentially the neighbors in the community they all know about this cemetery that if you bury something there it comes back to life but it doesn't come back as the original i guess soul of what was in that you know vessel that body and so a few things happen to the family's cat and to somebody else i'm not going to spoil too much uh and they they test out the theory if this cemetery works and uh it sure does and unfortunately when they come back they don't come back in a nice happy uh temperament they come back pretty much cannibalistic and ready to just wreck shit so uh <laughs> it was pretty creepy man it was actually really uh unsettling and like i said it had that little kid from a uh, new nightmare and he he played it well dude like i was creeped out by his uh, performance um, I, I don't get scared. Right. But I, I'll get like, um, I, I'll pay respect to the fact that like it has elements that could scare others. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like it didn't scare me, but I could see that it'll scare others. Like if you have a dog and it's your dog and it's like a, you know, really mean, like not a mean dog, but like a, a tough like a looking cool dog, it's something like that, you know, or like right. a pit bull or something. To you, you're not scared of that dog, but you can respect that maybe other people, you're as you're walking your dog, they're going to be like, oh, shit, like, let's cross the street, you know? So you can respect that, and I can respect that. In this movie, that kid, man, he <laughs> he was, like, essentially uh, trying to bait, you know, his family to come get slaughtered. And, uh, yeah, so definitely worth watching. Um, it has, like, a, just a dark ending, which is typical of, like, a lot of 80s movies. Uh, so I think it's it's definitely worth watching. And if I recall correctly, there might have been a second one for this one. I uh, think so. I haven't seen it though, so that'll be on the list for the next time. Um, 
dude, doesn't that always happen uh, where a family gets a good deal on a house? They go move in and there's like something terrible that happens there. Um, it's like always like one of those plot points for, for some of these horror movies where, oh, my God, how, how is this house so cheap? And then they move in and con- conjuring style, the house is haunted or uh, uh, what's that animal horror where uh, the, the house is also haunted and it's like some crazy shits popping off. <laughs> That's because they can't they they can't sell them, bro. It's they're, they're willing <laughs> right. to give it away, whoever take it. But uh, you know what show does that really well? Um, surprisingly, Friday the 13th. It's mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Did you ever watch that show? The TV show Friday the 13th? Yeah. No, I never watched it because it, I heard it had nothing to do with Jason. And it was just like, um, you know, kind of like a Tales of the Crypt thing. Uh, you know, it's more like um, Warehouse 13 or like X-Files. Because okay. it, it, um, it, what happens is it's kind of like what we were talking about where they, they go and inherit this house. It's two cousins kind of distantly related. And they have a, an uncle that they, they're both related to. And this uncle owned this antique store that has like just a bunch of old junk that's you know some really valuable stuff but just some old stuff and it it turns out it's all cursed and a lot of the stuff he would never sell he would never let people you know part with it um and so when they inherit it the uncle passed away and they inherit it they go and they try to get rid of everything they're like take everything you want you know like let's just clean house we don't need all this we're gonna sell the house and boom be done with it but then they find out that stuff that they were given away is actually cursed and some people ended up getting killed and stuff wow. happened to them. So they're on a mission to like find everything they gave they gave away and sold. So it's like an X-Files where they're bringing back all these cursed objects and they're they're trying to save people's lives. So it's interesting. Uh, I would, you know, give it a, a chance, maybe watch a couple episodes, see if you like it. Yeah, it sounds kind of interesting. I I wonder why they attached it to Five Nights of or uh, not Five Nights of Freddy's, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Then, I uh, you know probably just like bad luck type stuff. I, I'm not really sure to be honest, but uh, or maybe they just try to bait and switch. They're like, man, what do we call this? We need people to watch it. It's like, oh, Friday the Thirteenth is popular. All right, yeah, call it that. Yeah, it could be. You never know. It, it'd be it'd be good to to check out what was the reasoning behind it. Maybe it started off as a Friday thir- Friday the Thirteenth kind of tv show but then uh, it didn't get picked up until they changed the plot to being uh, an antique store yeah yeah i'd have to look into it I, I can't recall why they did that but well in any case uh yeah that's that's pretty much what i watched uh yesterday and oh another one really quick uh texas chainsaw massacre the next generation nice the, the fourth one in the series um i don't know have you ever seen this one I can't recall. I, I I actually didn't put it in my talking points, but I did watch a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, but it was uh, more like new gen where um, these uh, like these chefs, they end up buying like half the town Ooh, and, yeah. then, and then they become like uh, investors to try to sell the rest of the town really cheap and they start having a party. Is yeah. that this one or is this a different one? No, I, I know what you're talking about. That one's recently released. I think they came out like last year, maybe, or two years oh, okay. ago. Uh, that was good, too. I actually enjoyed that one. But this one was an, this is an older movie. I think this is like 94 oh, or something okay. like that. Right. Um, it has a younger Matthew McConaughey and a younger Renee Zellweger. It, does he go, all right, all right, all right? 
like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is funny though, man. He oh, okay. He's hilarious in like a maniacal way. Like it's it's kind of a horror comedy, I would say. Um and it, it does have some elements to it that conspiracy theorists might like. Um so any conspiracy theorists out there should probably watch this one. It's got um kind of like some deep government stuff in it. Uh, it, it doesn't outright say it, but well, actually it kind of does. It, it says like how the government will hire um, on like some black project people to do bad shit, like to just cause havoc and like they like pay them for or something or uh, that's probably like the more modern version of it. This is like okay. in the backwoods country. So the Texas chainsaw family is like, it's kind of like saying like they're funded by the government in the some CIA, sense, like going there to do a black ops and because because he he pretty much said he's like, how do you think you're here? How do you think we're doing all this? How do you think you're getting slaughtered and all your friends are dead? It's like you think they're they're just gonna let us do it? It's like of course because the government's paying us to do it and they they already know Big Brother knows all this stuff and they're cool with it. And I was just it was uh, a lot of like secret society type stuff. Wow, like it, it's interesting, man. <laughs> but did but did you read it right? Was it he was he being serious or was it just the ranting of a crazy man? Because I just saw a YouTube video uh, like a day or so ago where this lady was getting arrested for um, uh, stealing stuff at the store, and she just kept ranting. The president said it was fine, and he told me that it was cool to steal all this stuff. And so I'm just like. You know, obviously she's like out of her rocker. So was it was it that that this guy was just crazy? You know, I don't think so. At least in the the aspect of the movie, right? Like this is a is a movie. It's fake, but like in the in the aspect of the movie and what he's saying, he's honest. He's like being honest. Okay. And he tells the girl, he's like, I haven't told you a lie. Like he, I'm gonna. He's like, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do to you, and I'm gonna do it to you. And he's like, I haven't told you any lies, and he's. It's not just him. Like they, they all kind of agree that this is like something that the government is aware of and they're cool with. And they're not like the only ones that do this. Like it kind of, you know, I don't know if it references the CIA directly, but it gives you to think about other conspiracy theories out there about, wow. you know, the the drug world and and how the government might have its hands and some of the darkest stuff that happens. For sure. But, Again, it's all part of making this movie more scary, and it, it it does have a comical side to it too, though, man. So you know, take it with a grain of salt, of course. Um, that <laughs> I, I'll guy, tell you what, it sounds interesting, man. No, for sure, it's it's a hundred percent worth watching. I was pleasantly surprised enough so that I actually bought it. I, I got a Blu-ray of it initially. I watched it streaming, but I'm like, man, this is good enough that like, let me buy the Blu-ray on this, and um. Yeah, it has it has funny moments too, though. So definitely I, worth watching. Yeah, even with the one that I mentioned that I just watched, I even told Alana, I'm like, how did this guy live in this house for this whole time? Like, when that first group of people were all killed, you would think the cops would have found this guy and hunted him and killed him. He says, like, how did he just live here for like 30 years or what? However <laughs> much time has has moved. So maybe like like you're insinuating that it's something by the government and they're like, well, they're going to let this guy just stay there in Texas and just massacre people as they come across. Well, yeah. And that and in that new one, the police that they even knew about that, like they even knew about them and their history. 
And, it, you know, since you're bringing up the, the newer one, do you recall the scene where they try to get the lady out of the house or they try to, you know, evict them? And then, you know, that they're, they're the, the lady like has like a, a like a seizure or stroke or something. And then they end up trying to get it to the hospital, but she dies and uh, Leatherface goes apeshit. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I watched. That's the one. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it was just a totally, it, it was a really different weird. But to me, what kind of weird me off is that you can tell it was newer, more modern, just because there was a lot of like Gen X people in there. And mm-hmm. it, it just had like, um, it, it, I was making fun of it with Alana uh, because the survivor from the first movie ends up, uh, showing back up. I don't know if it's the actual actress from the first movie or it's just somebody portraying her, but she comes back with a bunch of shotguns and, and starts, you know, popping things off. And it's just like, Oh, here we go. We need the woman actor to come back all <laughs> badass, kind of like a, uh, uh, Halloween ends just come and kill off the, the main bad guy forever. Yeah, no, it, it definitely had, you know, a, a flavor of that new style of movie. And, uh, right. You know, it's not everyone's cup of tea. There, there's going to be good and bad in like most movies nowadays, and it's like you just got to take it. You know, it's it's it is what it is. For sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that that's how probably every generation was. You know, like people that grew up in the '60s are watching these '80s slashers. Like, what is this trash? You know, people that grew up in the '80s watching the 2000s. Like, what is this garbage? You know, so it's how it is. I think. I think so. I think it goes through a, a theme, and you see a lot of movies like that. Look at all those uh, John Wayne, badass guy just taking over the world. Um, you know, action movie stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Sylvester Stallone just kicking ass. So it, it goes through ebb and flows with different themes in, in the modern movies that come out at that time, for sure. Oh, exactly, dude. That That's actually a really good point because, like, you really couldn't redo those movies anymore. Like, you don't see a lot of the old uh, um, Schwarzenegger movies being made nowadays. Uh, the the closest thing we get is what like John Wick, which is is good right. by the way. It's just it's not you can't do like the old Cobra or um, the old like uh, Red Heat or Commando. You know, like where you're just guns blazing. Just like there's no rhyme or reason. There's no like realism to it. It's just. Yeah, you're just going to shoot everybody and not get shot once versus John Wick, who, you know, it's it's a little more realistic, I suppose. Uh, they, they try to make it seem like he's more human. He can, he's still, a, you know, right. a tough guy, but he still can take, you know, a beating, too. So, no, for sure. It's it's totally a different um, uh, kind of theme nowadays in, in the newer modern movies. And you could kind of um, call it as far as when the movie was made based on just some of the cinematography and some of the themes in the, in the subject matter. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's how it goes in the film industry, man. You got to just keep evolving. Really. Um, I don't think any decade is the same as the one before it. So it, it is what it is. And, you know, this decade just got kicked off 2020s. So let's see where it goes, and and hopefully we get some more good movies. I, I heard specifically John Wick. There's going to be another movie, the Chapter Five. So interesting to see how that'll turn out. Yeah, I still haven't seen the last one. I saw the first uh, two or three, and those are very well done. So yeah, I should really make it a point to to watch the last one that just came out. 
Oh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, definitely try it out, man. But uh, anyway, I think that wraps things up for, you know, our week and uh, what we've been up to. Um, So it's a good time to get into our article of the week. Okay, so here we got an article from Statista.com. Specifically, it's involving a chart listing the countries polluting the oceans the most. So how I got started on this and how I found this was initially on a clip of Joe Rogan's podcast. And in that clip, uh, Joe Rogan brings this up, this chart itself up, and he talks about how the U.S. is nowhere near as big of a polluter as other countries and how a lot of the mainstream media will paint the U.S. in a negative light almost always in terms of emissions, pollution, and climate change. And a lot of people, they do it so much that you almost believe it. And many do. Many do believe that, that climate change is is a real thing, that we're making the the world a worse place, and that the U.S. is like a big part of it. So even I was starting to believe that as well, and I started seeing that, you know, changes are happening. But then this chart comes up, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, here are the facts, and people are ignoring it. So just to kind of read it off real quick here, a team of researchers in the United States and Australia, led by Jenna Jambic, an environmental engineer at the University of Georgia, analyzed plastic waste levels in the world's oceans. They found that China and Indonesia are the top sources of plastic bottles, bags, and other rubbish clogging up global sea lanes. Together, both nations account for more than a third of plastic debris in the global waters. According to a report in the Wall Street Journal, the original source can be found on this link that the website provides you. Uh, in 2010, 8.8 million metric tons of mismanaged plastic waste came from China, with an estimated 3.53 million metric tons of it ending up in the ocean. A total of 3.2 million metric tons of mismanaged plastic waste came from Indonesia, and it is estimated that 1.29 million metric tons of that became plastic marine debris. The United States is also guilty, don't get me wrong, of polluting oceans with plastic, but at a much, much lower level than China. Annually, 0.11 million metric tons of waterborne plastic garbage comes from the United States. So they do release a chart that kind of gives you like an outline of the top countries that are polluters. And in, it says here, the countries polluting the oceans the most, annual metric tons of mismanaged plastic waste and total amount ending up in global waters. And it gives you like a, a chart that says mismanaged plastic waste and then another start uh, part of it that says plastic marine debris. China is at the very forefront of it. Number one, 8.8 million metric tons and then 3.53 that ends up being plastic marine debris. Indonesia, number two, the Philippines, number three, Vietnam, number four, Sri Lanka, number five at 1.6 million. So this was uh, back in 2010. Um, it is possible it's gotten worse since then. But if we're going off of this, the U.S. is nowhere near, especially when they said it was 0.11. It's not even a half of a of of one million, dude. It's literally a hundred and ten thousand tons. Yeah, for sure. I, I I think a lot of this is is probably true. And like you mentioned, this is from twenty ten, so it's it's probably fluctuated a little bit. But I I think what 
and and I'm all for reducing plastic um, consumption for sure. I think the U.S. should continue to push forward to that. I almost wish Andy was on this show because I know Andy is a big non-believer of stuff like this. He uh, he thinks it's all bullshit, like um, the ozone layer. But I don't want to speak too much for him. He could speak for himself. But I it, honestly, my opinion on some of this stuff is that the reason why U.S. is not a big contributor to this, uh, at least today or in 2010, is because we do not lead the world in manufacturing anymore. A lot of this waste comes from manufacturing. It comes from uh, making components. And when you're a big maker of parts and and consumables, you create a ton of waste. Um, just just look at uh, there was a good documentary. Um, I, I, it was a few years ago that I watched it, but about how off of the west coast, off of Seattle. There's like this huge, uh, you know, like patch of garbage that just floats there because of the way the current is. It just goes in circles, this big, you know, all the currents pull the garbage into this area. And I, I actually Googled it before the podcast. And right now, as of 2023, there are 1.8 trillion plastic pieces in this floating garbage pile uh, off of the west coast of Seattle. And it accounts for... 80 metric tons, and that's off of uh, the coast of, of um, the United States. Now, did the United States contribute all of that? Maybe not. Maybe some of it came over through currents from China. But I do know that when U.S. was leading the manufacturing boom back in the 80s or even before that, they contributed a ton more of waste that made these numbers maybe comparable where the United States would be closer to the top. But I think as the United States has moved away from stuff like that and shipped a lot of manufacturing overseas and China, Indonesia, uh, India is now becoming a huge manufacturing uh, place option for the U.S., those are going to be the countries with the most waste. So I, I kind of agree we should all just move to lessen this because it's just going to become a bigger and bigger issue as time goes on but whoever leads the world in manufacture is going to probably be the lead contributor to waste like this i would think no you make some great points definitely that makes a lot of sense uh china being one of the biggest manufacturing countries in the whole entire world so definitely makes a lot of sense that that's where it would come from that being the case um where I was getting like just kind of um, annoyed by is that the U.S. is still taking a lot of heat for pollution when right. obviously, like you said, we're not a manufacturing, um, you know, we're not a booming economy with manufacturing anymore, unfortunately. Um, so we're obviously not polluting as much either. But yet they still want to regulate so many different things, switches over to only electric. And they're making a lot of like bold claims where it, it doesn't seem like real. It doesn't seem like it, it's truly – essentially what I'm trying to say is that even if we did change everything that all these people want us to change, all the things that the politicians and the, the government want us to change, it still wouldn't even put a single dent in the pollution because these Asian countries are still going to be manufacturing and are still going to be polluting the oceans. So I, ultimately what I was bringing this up for is to kind of just show that it's really not – us 
the U.S. that needs to make these big changes. It's these Asian countries that are manufacturing the most that needs to start making some positive changes toward helping the environment. For sure, for sure. And I've also uh, just recently, like within the last year, uh, read a few articles where uh, because the U.S. has gotten back into this because during the Trump uh, administration, he had walked away from a lot of this stuff from the Paris Accord mm-hmm. to reduce our footprint and whatnot. Uh, well, now that Biden's gone back and kind of maybe even doubled down on it, that a lot of countries are pissed off because they're like, yeah, the U.S. is touting to lower uh, pollutants and carbon footprint and all that stuff. And they're bringing up the point of, well, the U.S. didn't give a shit when you guys were leading manufacturing and your economy boomed and your uh, dollar became strong because you were uh, a, a lead manufacturing country. And now that other countries are leading manufacturer, now you're going to tell us, well, you could lead manufacturing, but do it responsibly and increase your cost so that you can dispose of plastics correctly and so you could dispose of garbage correctly. And they're like, well, it's not fair that now you're imposing all these rules and now we can't boom our economy and make our currency strong um, because we have all these regulations now. So I've seen stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. which I don't know if what the real answer is for this and what the solution, but I do agree that uh, in order to save the world and make it more livable for a long time to come, we definitely have to make concessions to not continue with the waste. Do the little bit that we can to improve it day by day. You know, I, I agree. I think everybody could do a little better about, you know, the pollution problem. Um, and I, I do hear that point you're you're making is, is valid. Um, a lot of these countries are getting a chance to make more money by becoming more of a player in the manufacturing industry. But that being the case, it's like, if we know this is a problem, then, you know, we need to be a part of the solution. And thankfully, I think there is a solution on the horizon. Uh, If I recall correctly, I think I might have shared an article, you know, maybe like many episodes back, like 10 or so episodes back about a bacteria or fungi. Yeah, plastic eater, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there might be a chance where that becomes a a more feasible option to use against this island of pollution, of plastic pollution, and just dwindle it down, you know, but. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's what sucks is that plastic doesn't biodegrade fast enough, and they definitely have to come up and engineer some new solutions to maybe make it more sustainable because plastic is the king, man. Um, I I just recently, I, I used to keep a water bottle in, in my car all the time. Um, I used to just have a bottle of water because I'll get thirsty while I'm driving. And I, I, I don't want to stop by, uh, you know, 7-Eleven or, or, or stop into Walmart and get something to drink every time. So I would just keep a bottle of water and I would just refill it. And Andy, like a couple of months ago, it's just like, dude, do you know that's bad? Because as the sun hits it, it's melting the plastic into your water and you're drinking it all the time. And I was just like, ah, you're full of shit. And I started Googling some and he's right. It's like the plastic starts degrading into your water. Uh, even if it's like um, that BPA free or whatever, it's still residues of plastic are in there. 
And it, it got me, it, I started going down like a rabbit hole where something to the fact of every rainstorm has a percentage of plastic that rains down on us. So even rainwater has plastic in it because there's so much plastic in our environment that when it degrades, it goes up into the clouds and then the clouds just rain it back down onto us. So it's definitely a huge problem. And I've since then changed over to a metal container to hold my water because I still like to drink water in my car. But now I just have like, a, you know, one of those like knockoff Yeti cups with that's made out of metal. So who knows? Maybe I'll get lead poisoning next. But at least for now, uh, plastic is <laughs> plastic isn't going into my water. No, for sure, man. It, it's it's tough, man. Uh, there's so many things being found about everything that it's it, it's hard to live like a really just purely clean life because right. there's so many contaminants out there. But, you know, we just got to be mindful, do the best we can. I agree. I, I, I recycle. I do the most that I can. Is it making a dent and changing the world? Probably not. But I'm doing my little part. And I think if everybody does it, it, it will make a, a slight difference. So. Hopefully everybody gets on board and, and does what they can. But as far as Freeform Radio, I think that's about it. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Remember to follow Freeform Network on Twitter at Freeform Network and on Facebook soon, man. Andy's getting on the game. Maybe that's why he didn't show up today is that he's working on that Facebook. So we'll see what's going on. But send in those questions and suggestions. Send in those suggestions to Andy. He wants to see him about how Facebook needs to come back up. I know it's for us older people and young guys don't really use Facebook no more, but send in that email asking Andy, get that Facebook running. Uh, visit up, uh, visit us on our webpage, freeformnetwork.podbean.com. There you're gonna see all of our episodes that we have uh, in the queue there. You could uh, see links to all the major players, you know, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Podbean themselves, and many others subscribe and hit that like button uh it really helps us out and helps algorithmic i'm not even going to say the word but it does help <laughs> us it helps us and gets us back up into the charts so that more people can find us but for freeform radio we got noel thank you everybody for listening we really appreciate it for sure and this is daniel uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoy yourselves and send in some suggestions for future uh, topics. We're always looking for good things to talk about, but take it easy out there. Dad.